darlings, and welcome to our Christmas Stocking Open Mic episode. As you probably know, I'm Rebecca Cooney, and Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month, we bring you interviews, tips, inspiration, and above all, awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. In this month's special festive episode, we've got some fabulous poets all wrapped up and stuffed into our Christmas stocking for you. It was a challenge to get them all in there, I'm not going to lie, but they are now ready and waiting for you. Christmas is a time that evokes joy, excitement, nostalgia, but also difficult memories and regret. And in this year's stocking, we've got poems that reflect all of those different emotions. And if you keep going right to the bottom, I'm pretty sure there's a satsuma and some chocolate coins waiting there for you as well. Not all of the poets have introduced themselves on their recordings, so I'll be stepping in to welcome them to the virtual mic. But when they have introduced themselves, I'll just step back and let them speak for themselves. But before we get there, I just want to say thank you to you all for listening and for your support throughout the year. It's been a little bit chaotic at Dead Darlings HQ in the past couple of months, so thank you for bearing with us. We've got a really exciting lineup of guests planned for next year, and I can't wait to share more brilliant poetry conversations with you. We're also making a few tweaks to the format in the next few months. Nothing drastic, don't worry. But if you've got any suggestions, please do feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, on Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, or at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. I don't know about you, darlings, but literally everyone I speak to seems particularly exhausted right now. I hope all of you were able to take some kind of break over the next couple of weeks. Wishing you all a restful and very merry Christmas and a very happy new year. Now, without any further ado, please welcome Trisha Bloomfield to the stage. Christmas Day. Of course you'll offer to cook. No, insist. I'll plan a quiet morning, drinking tea, then gin, then something sparkling. It all stems from your childhood. Your mum doing it all, decorating it all with Christmas. The stairs, the mantelpiece, the table, the dog. Then cooking for what seemed like the whole street. My tea, then gin, then something sparkling, stems from mine. Mum drinking it all for Christmas, helping the whole street celebrate, Dad helping her up to bed, before opening a tin of Heinz baked beans with pork sausages. Next up, please welcome George Parker. Chris Rear flashes a shit-eating grin from where his Fiat squats in traffic. He's been expecting this, the fucker. Tail lights flash off his pearly whites like he's got a gob full of Kris Kringles in there. I thumb the steering wheel and wonder if you can make tinsel from entrails, cover anything in glitter and all that. I, whose life has not been embroiled in the perpetual countdown to Christmas, 364, 363, 362, find all of this a bit much. What I'll give you, wrapped in a festive blend of irony and mincing verse, is instead Christmases, a history. Christmases that stand out are... The one where it all seemed like Yorkshire puddings and bacon-wrapped sausages and games and people actually getting along. Or the one where my dad stormed out and left us and they bandied around the word divorce and I couldn't have imagined decades later that I'd wish they'd fucking gone through with it instead of this Boxing Day threat becoming like a sharp-edged, jewelled cockroach they nurture. Or an artificial Christmas tree full of familial hurt they store in the loft and bring out to wound. An annual unwrapping of animosity. 
or the one where my nan dies three days before and unable to face this new reality I restuff my backpack and get into a taxi at 6.30am wearing pink fleecy besheeped pyjamas and head back to my flat in London where my husband that I've separated from but still live with is and the driver sat me up front with his flask of coffee my not so ex-husband gave me a look and hotboxed the front room or the one where my cousin's father-in-law stares at me with his pink face and his fly undone and asks why I'm vegan. I was vegan before my body said, no, you can't be vegan. We've made you allergic to all food. And I can see remnants of food swelling around his mouth as he speaks and also reflections of the frustration the rest of my family has for me which clearly he swallowed and is now spewing back up like I'm a baby bird that needs to eat, needs to hear, it needs to know I am a thing of shame. Best keep me wrapped with a ribbon on in the attic till the day comes when I'm unceremoniously dumped on the living room floor and decorated to look a little bit shinier than I actually am. Because vegan is shorthand for queer, troubled, plagued by ill health, just a little bit too much hard work and absolutely an inconvenience. One of my best Christmases was huddled on a beach in Sussex, Kent. Forgive me, it's hard to picture. The sea regurgitating the sky, grey of course, this is England. And the rain defied gravity to pelt sideways and we were freezing. But my nan and I huddled under a blanket and a fucking useless golf umbrella and nursed a disposable barbecue incessantly from the brink of death until we realised we should probably get my nan home before we had to nurse her back from the brink of death. I don't remember the Christmas. My cousin told me Santa and God aren't real, but I remember being afraid that I best keep the faith because obviously I don't think they're real, but all the adults seem to have made a big deal about one of them making sure I burn for an eternity if I don't pray. And with that enthusiasm, who's to say that doesn't apply to all imaginary figures? Eternal hellfire. If I don't get on my knees, like I'm a Christmas pudding doused in brandy and some guy or gal or non-binary entity has a fucking Bic lighter. Not even a Zippo, just a shitty Bic lighter and they can light me up at any moment. Just say Christmas tradition and all my family will nod. Flambe. I like that part of the tradition. The fear of what happens if we all stop believing. It's so close In fact, it's there, the real meaning of Christmas. Waiting to be unwrapped by Chris Rear with neon flashing teeth and gammon pink tongue and grey skin sky and divorced beetle eyes and the flames. The flames will take us all. Next up, and no doubt suitably festively decorated, is the Professor of Whimsy himself, Robert Garnham. They put up a big Christmas tree outside of Summerfield, powered by a great sodding diesel generator to keep the lights working. Happy, ruddy-cheeked, bejerzed Christmas shoppers singing carols and choking on the exhaust. Christmas in the suburbs. They put tinsel on the urinals in Liddles. Christmas in the suburbs. Reindeer outlines stenciled on the operating theatre doors. Rudolph, Blitzen, Prancer, Pruritus, Ulcer, Time of Death 1534, Christmas in the suburbs. 
Late night shopping every Thursday. Happily coinciding with peak mugging hours. Christmas in the suburbs. The man from the bank wearing antlers. The woman from the tobacconist wearing antlers. The bus driver on the number 441 wearing antlers. The youths in McDonald's wearing antlers. And just for a laugh, they put antlers on the reindeer in the park, even though they already had antlers. Antlers on antlers, Christmas in the suburbs. The ceremonial turning on of the Christmas light. Christmas in the suburbs. And yet, there is a very real magic beyond the fairy lights wrapped around the statue of two men carrying a roll of lino. That whole rumbling anonymous conurbation should scream out from the darkness of deepest winter, if only for a while. The Salvation Army's music stands getting blown over by the updraft of a passing train and turning their notes to free-form jazz, while Dave from the Fishmongers tries to rescue their Santa hats from the dual carriageway. Oh, Christmas in the suburbs. My name is Dan Webber, and this is a new poem for Christmas called Foley Artist. You can find me online at www.imgenrefluid.com and at dan underscore weber underscore poet on Twitter. I've been thinking what I missed off last year's Christmas list. And if I had one wish, what would I ask for? What is the one thing I want more than anything else in the world? Well, if I had one wish, and one wish only, I would wish for a fight with Mick Foley. Now, for those who don't know their mankind from their dude love, their WWE from their World Wildlife Fund, this poem could be tough. But enough with the pleasantries. I want entrance themes and ringside commentaries, fans brandishing tees with my character name. I want a rivalry with the game. Want to be challenged by Undertaker and Kane and make WrestleMania history in a tag team match with Austin 316. I want my debut win against The Rock at King of the Ring. Want my back smacked hard against a mat covered in thumbnail tacks. JR having heart attacks as we go toe to toe in the squared circle. This is awesome, the crowd will chant. And at the end of the match, when I'm just about to pass out, I will dig deep and earn my three count. With my signature move, I cannot lose. And I will raise that championship belt high above my head. Santa, if you're listening, this year's Christmas wish could not be clearer. I want to be a wrestler in the WWE Attitude Era. Sit and Christmas by Andy N and Amanda Nicholson. 
Why Father Christmas rang up Satan and asked him to cover for him at Christmas, nobody knew. Although it was rumoured he already asked the Easter Bunny, Sandman and the Tooth Fairy, they all had different excuses why they couldn't do it. However, Satan had always wanted to do it and answered with a devilish glint in his eyes. Sure, what could go wrong? He figured because his name was already an anagram of Santa, no one would mind too much. After all, he was practically Santa for dyslexics. At the first home he visited, the four-year-old boy he was delivering presents to woke up and screamed when he saw Satan hanging the stocking at the end of his bed. Things didn't get any better by the time he reached the third house, and three armed police awaited him on the reindeer in the garden, and he swore under his breath at Rudolph. Rudolph, who hated swearing, tried to cover his ears with his hoofs and fell from the roof. Until then, nobody had ever heard a reindeer scream, but it wasn't a pleasant sound. The other reindeer looked at him, stunned, and before Dasher jumped to the floor. He's dead, he proclaimed after a few seconds. Then began the strange ritual that Santa's reindeer always performed whenever they lost one of their own. So while Satan was trying to rally the remaining reindeer to help him escape, they were too busy chanting something in reindeerish, which was sometimes referred to as radish. While they marched around Rudolph's corpse, throwing pieces of tinsel at him. The marksmen were left there stunned and ran through to their headquarters to relay what they were witnessing. Satan ran off on his own, giving up on getting help with his escape. Just when the Sky News cameraman thought things couldn't get any weirder, Rudolph sprang up and looked straight into the camera. He's alive, one of the crew exclaimed. Do you have a quote for us? Yes, Rudolph said. I just want to say, next year, I'm going to Blackpool. Next up's the Dead Darling stocking stage as Heather Molson. This is the last proper Christmas. The click of the powder compact, cheap hairspray lingered by the hall mirror. She'd gone to the shops wearing her second best headscarf, leaving behind Max Factor lipstick on a cracked cup. The tang of eat me dates, incomprehensible walnuts no one ever cracked. Only the multitude of tangerines were enticing. We didn't have long to wrap the yellow bath cubes from the wall shop. Last year, I'd made her a calendar at school. I used a picture of a horse from a magazine. Dad had already got mum talcum powder. We knew it would end up on the bathroom shelf, unused and unloved like the red old spice aftershave. But it had to be there somehow. I had a whole week to be good so Santa Claus would come. The longest week of my life. And the last. By Christmas of 1970, I'd already found out he didn't exist. Hi everybody, Tim Kiley here. This is a poem inspired by Matthew chapter 5 verses 34 through 37, which is the bit of the Sermon on the Mount that deals with oath swearing, which is kind of fascinating to me as a subject. It's called I Swear. On my lifelong passion for stamp collecting, on my mother's slippers, 
on my sister's nose ring. I swear by my father's unplucked eyebrows and my grandfather's inexplicable hair. By my cousin's unmatched record collection and my son's appendix, do I swear. I swear by my dentist's wedding album, by my pastor's sweet tea recipe, by all of the angels and all their immaculate toenail clippings snowing down every spring, do I swear. I swear by God and his radiant belly button fluff, by his fragrant omelette pan, by his seven unreasonably pretty aunties, do I swear. I swear by his seventy-five yellow eyes and by his ninety knees. I swear by his venomous dorsal spine and his forty thousand trunk muscles enfolding the entire horizon within their emerald light. I swear on my life, on my mother's life on the lives of my children and my children's children, and on my own unperishing self, which will not be dissolved in its yeses and noes, and will not cease in its swearing even to the ending of all the world. I swear. Happy holidays, everybody. Hello, I'm Ellen Clayton. And I'm going to read a poem called Home Baked, which is from my chapbook, also called Home Baked, which is published by Benke Publishing and can be bought on the Benke Publishing website. Home Baked. Christmas Eve and my parents' house is cacophonous. Twenty of us squeezed into precious bricks and mortar, the foundations of our family. I duck out to the garage, cold air blasting my face as I open the door to retrieve the chilling champagne. Away from the toasty kitchen. I pause on the threshold before I re-enter. A room ablaze with warmth and cheer. All those I hold dear gathered in garish Christmas jumpers. The table, cloaked with the twice annual red tablecloth, is brimming with buffet delights. But the star attraction is yet to be served. Mum's home-baked spicy sausage rolls. The scent of them cooking makes my mouth water in anticipation. I close the door to the garage, keeping the chill from entering our festive haven. Breathe in deeply, feel myself thaw, coming home. I pour the drinks, then my brother and I hover by the oven, waiting for mum to declare her sausage rolls done so we can pounce. The Christmas music is barely audible and my champagne glass is suddenly empty, quaffed down too quickly in the buzz and hubbub of my favourite day of the year. My children cram crisps and hummus into small fists, giddy on the promise of Father Christmas and his impending arrival. Outside, a bitter wind blows and darkness shrouds the garden, but this kitchen is enveloped in light. Finally, it is time. The sausage rolls are ready and I have grabbed two, contemplating for a moment exactly how long I have to wait to avoid burning my mouth. 
I bite in perfectly crisp pastry flaking over my lips onto the plate as warm, tender meat flecked with a fiery kick of jalapenos floods my mouth. I grin at mum, gleefully shrieking, the best ones yet, as I am nourished with hot sausage rolls and love. And that is it. Thank you all for listening, darlings. Have a cosy and joyful Christmas and we will see you next year. Bye.